Welcome back to our Weird History mini-sode, which isn't so many anymore, but we still seek to bring you tales of the strange and unusual throughout history. The question is, what are we talking about this week? I'm not going to tell you just yet. What? Nope. I don't get nope. the topic even. No. Nope. Even a little hint. Well, okay. I'll give you a hint. Um, it's medical quackery. Which, uh, yes, I know this seems to be the third medical quackery weird, episode, weird history in a row, but they're fun. Um, this one was, okay, so this one started off with a listener suggestion and kind of went off the rails to something I was not even expecting. So before I start, I want to thank Meg for uh, sending us a... I don't know if it was a suggestion or just a post, but she sent us something about uh, Lister, the surgeon with his 300% mortality rate, which if you're not familiar with the story, he was a, supposedly one of the fastest surgeons. And during one operation, he sliced the finger off of one of his assistants and gang green, the assistant died. One person fainted and passed out in the operations room. And then the patient also died. And I was like, well, I've heard of this. Let's uh let's let's look into it. See if we can't make a weird history out of it. And it went completely in a different direction than I expected it to. This is gonna be fun. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness! You have no idea. I had so much fun researching it. I couldn't stop laughing. And if you like some of the craziness from our Victorian bake-up episode, let alone the ads that we went through, you are going to have some fun with this one. But before we get into the crazy medical quackery, sort of, I'm going to give you some background on a specific medical doctor. Now, this is, of course, not the quackery part, This is, but this is some factual background information. So we're gonna start talking about Dr. Joseph Lister. And he was born on April 5th of 1827 in Essex, England, the second of three children born to Joseph Lister Sr., who was a wine merchant and an amateur scientist. They were also practicing Quakers. And when he was old enough, Joseph actually attended some Quaker schools. And these schools actually strongly emphasized an education in science which would be an education that would lead him down his medical path. At the age of 19, he was actually in attendance in England for one of the very first surgeries that actually used anesthesia. Go back to our laughing guest episode of our weird history, and that'll give you some idea of the, the time frame that this actually happened. The following year, so at age 20, he earned a Bachelor of Arts. And not long after that, he actually qualified to attend medical school and soon earned a BS in medicine and surgery. And here he also won two gold medals in medicine and became a fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons in 1852. Not too bad before you're 30. Now, not long after he landed that position as a fellow at the Royal College, he also gained a position as the dresser for the professor of clinical surgery, James, and I don't know if it's Syme or Simi. I'm gonna go with Syme. And if you're not sure what a dresser is, it's literally someone that dresses you. 
which was a position back then, it was actually a highly sought after position for some really, for, for nobles, for royalty, for professors, kind of like an internship of sorts, sort of. But eventually, J Joseph Lister also became the professor's house surgeon as well. So that's a really, he's really, really good at what he does. And while he was there, he also ended up starting to date Syme's daughter, Agnes. And the two were actually later married. And eventually she would become his very longtime lab partner. And together they both worked towards discoveries and advances in medical research. She also had, being her, her dad was a clinical surgeon, she grew up around medicine and was very, very keenly interested particularly at a time when women weren't really allowed to do these things or expected to do these things. So early in his medical career, Lister was also very keenly aware of what was called ward fever. This he actually noticed was very incredibly common after surgeries. And he was able to conclude that ward fever wasn't something that was caused because of the surgery itself, but what the infections that were caused after surgery. So when he compared compound fractures, to simple fractures, he actually concluded that open wound injuries would be the ones to actually exhibit infection. And having concluded this, he actually began to practice very strict hygiene uh, procedures prior to surgeries, including washing his hands, washing his instruments, things that are standard and required today. In the 1840s, let alone prior to that at any time, mostly in history, this was not standard practice. And most people weren't even aware of germs. There was some, the germ theory was going around at this time, but most people even refused to even accept that there were organisms they couldn't see causing these things. And in fact, most surgeons would walk around wearing blood-stained clothing, blood-stained aprons, blood-stained hands, using blood-stained instruments that were used on previous patients with their blood on it, now using an fresh patient with the same blood on it. Many of them actually considered this blood-stained anything to be actually a status symbol of the surgical profession. Ew. Now, when Lister began his clean hygienic practice, he was actually jeered at and scoffed at by many of his peers because it was considered to be wrong in their eyes. Lister himself was also quite familiar with the works of Louis Pasteur, his advancements in vaccines, fermentation, and pasteurization, and Lister even agreed with Pasteur's conclusions that germs were actually contracted via the air, and having grown up around wine, he was very well aware of fermentation, which was also caused by germs. And again, and, and they both believe that germs themselves and infections were not something that just spontaneously happened, which was actually a common belief also at the time. Also, at the same time, carbolic acid was being used to disinfect London city sewers. And apparently it worked so well that Lister decided to make some experiments using it for cleaning purposes in the home and concluded that it was actually safe to use on humans and began to use it to wash his hands and his instruments prior to surgery. He would also treat wounds dipped in carbolic acid. 
and use it as like, a, a, like we do with antiseptic wipes today. And even created a, an aerosol spray using carbolic acid as a way to disinfect rooms, much like Lysol. And he would actually go on to publish his successful findings in 1867. So not surprisingly, given the, the views of people at the time, the discoveries took quite some time to take into effect for the medical community. Many actually saw it as a waste of time to disinfect everything before surgeries. And as I mentioned, others even refused to believe germs even existed. It took 12 more years before his hygienic practices would be accepted on a widespread scale. But those who did take it up early quickly began to see that their patient infections and possible post-death surgery or post-surgery deaths went from it around an 80% infection and mortality rate down to nearly zero because you're being clean and you're not using blood-stained and infected instruments. It's common sense with this one, but apparently not back then. So by 1877, his practices had caught on kind of everywhere within the globe, more or less, except his homeland of England. And this didn't actually happen until he was appointed professor of surgery at London's King's College Hospital. So now you're in charge and you can now make everyone practice clean hygienic surgeries. And by 1879, it was an accepted practice worldwide because it was proven to actually be successful and not infecting, having infected patients that would die. Lister would also go on to introduce rubber tubing as a source of drainage after trying it on Queen Victoria. And it was, of course, successful. And he also introduced sterilized wire for setting bones and as well as introducing catgut for use of internal stitches instead of the use of silk because catgut dissolves in the human system without causing infection. The, yeah, I mean, silk is good for the, on the outside. Silk stitching is still used, but catgut needs to be used on the inside for sewing up organs because it dissolves, but doesn't cause infection. Silk will cause infection inside the human body. That, yes, that makes sense. But I'm sorry, I, can we go about two steps back where you talked about Queen Victoria for a second. <laughs> go ahead. So I'm sorry, he re repeat this fact because I'm slightly confused. He did what on Queen Victoria? He drained an abscess that she had under, I, I guess in her armpit or under her arm, but she had an abscess and he was able to using rubber tubing, which is common practice for a lot of tools today, drainage wise was able to uh, put it in his drainage apparatus and use it mm -hmm. to, to drain the abscess okay i was confused for a second because then you jumped straight into bones since bones well i wasn't done with queen victoria i'm sorry <laughs> queen victoria break a bone and i just missed what you said i'm so confused for a second here no no you know, he, this was also the time that he was queen victoria's personal surgeon Okay, yes, that part I remember hearing. And then I got confused on where you went after hearing about Queen Victoria and then setting bounds. 
Yes, yeah. This was the this was one of the surgeries that he performed with Queen Victoria as her her physician and surgeon, and she would actually go on to knight him in eighteen eighty three, and he would become Lord Lister of Lyme Regis in eighteen ninety seven, and would also go on to establish the British Institute of Preventative Medicine, which was later changed to the Lister Institute. Not too much unlike Humphrey Davies, going back to our laughing gas episode here. Because Humphrey Davies was also very instrumental and in, although it took about 20 years, but instrumental in having anesthesia being used for different surgeries and at a way of preventing pain. So now uh, Joseph Lister's longtime partner and wife, Agnes, uh, unfortunately died in 1892, which according to many left Lister very, very melancholic. And then they were together for at least 30, 40 years. And this eventually would cause him to retire the following year in 1893. And he passed away in Kent on February 10th of 1912 at the age of 84. Now that's the sciencey bit. Now we're gonna get into um, the, the slightly quackier, wackier bit. So, as we said, by the 1870s, Lister's antiseptic practices were beginning to take hold across the globe. And this passed through the hands of a St. Louis, St. Louis, Missouri based doctor who took note of the practices and began himself to develop an alcohol based surgical antiseptic. And this was Dr. Joseph Florence. It's a mixture, though the trade secret combination is still unknown, but does include, I hate scientific terms, eucalyptol, which is the essential oil of eucalyptus, which has antibacterial properties, menthol, the essential oil of mint, which has germ killing properties, methyl salicylate, and thymol, which is the essential oil of thyme, which is also effective against some bacteria. This is a product that's still around to this day, and we pretty much use it daily, or at least most of us do. Would you like to take a guess what this might be? Oh gosh, I think I use it at work for cleaning stuff too. Well, you probably could. Oh, it's, it's not like um, alcohol or saline or whatever it is that, oh God. I can't remember the specific name, but it's like an alcohol we use for like cleaning our antiseptic, but at a higher level. Sort of. Okay, we're going to go back to the, to, to the clues here for a second. It's an anti, it's an alcohol-based antiseptic with the essential oils of eucalyptus, mint, and thyme because it's germ killing. Who did we just talk about? What was the doctor's last name? Oh God, really? Really? You're gonna do this to me? I don't know. We're not paying attention for the last don't 10 do minutes. This. Everything flies out of my head when I put it on the spot. This is why I didn't do very well in the SATs, by the way. Okay, we're gonna go back. I talked about a man named Dr. Joseph Lister. Listerine? Yes. Like mouthwash Listerine? Yes. 
Listerine is named for Dr. Lister. Also, I've misheard you and I thought you said Lister and it got me confused. <laughs> so uh, that screwed me up too. Okay. okay. So we've been, so Listerine has been around since for 200 years plus or something is basically what you're saying. Kind of like the idea of it. No, Listerine's only been, it, it was invented in 1879. Okay, I'm sorry. About 150 years. Oh, I'm so sorry. Right. I was off by 50 years. <laughs> OMG, the world is ending 50 years. <laughs> but yeah. okay, I didn't know Listerine's been around that long, but okay. I didn't either, but I also didn't know Listerine was named after Dr. Lister. I, I didn't feel like Dr. Dr. Lister existed. <laughs> It's such an odd name, but you never know. People back then came up with odd names for things. Well, I mean, we also, a lot of people back in those days were also changing their names if they immigrated from immigrated from another country to fit in more. Well, so. no, not, not even that. I'm thinking just the name of some medications nowadays is just a mouthful. That's why we have other names for them. We have the common generic name and then we have the complicated medical proper term and you're just like, what? Right, right. Huh? I don't know how to pronounce that. Like fexofenadine. It's yeah. literally just an allergy medicine that we have in like Allegra. Yeah. And I'm probably mispronouncing it by the way. Uh, well, we're not talking about that here. No, I was just using it as an example of a weirdly complicated name. No, well, speaking of weird, let's get back to Listerine. Because this did not go in the direction I expected it to. I was like, oh, Listerine, it's just a mouthwash. No. Oh, oh no, it's not. We were going to have so much fun. All right, just, just, just be ready for the face palms and the laughs, both. So Dr. Joseph Lawrence created what would become Listerine in 1879 and began to promote it in 1881. He teamed up with pharmacist jo Jordan Lambert, who would actually go on to find or found the Lambert Pharmacal Company, which marketed and produced Listerine. Lambert began to originally market it as an oral antiseptic, which is what we use it for today. And by 1914, Listerine was not only the first prescription, but also first over-the-counter mouthwash in the U.S. And it gained even more popularity when Lambert's son, Gerard, began an aggressive marketing campaign in the 20s. And by 1927, Listerine was the third largest print advertiser in the U.S., and I've got a little something to read here. So according to Stephen Levitt and Stephen Dumber's books, Freakonomics, this is a quote from, uh, from Freakonomics about Listerine. So they say, Listerine, for instance, was invented in the 19th century as a powerful surgical antiseptic. It was later sold in distilled form as both a floor cleaner and a cure for gonorrhea. Wait till the end. But it wasn't a runaway success until the 1920s when it was pitched as a solution for chronic halitosis, a then obscure medical term for bad breath. Listerine's new ads featured 
forlorn young women and men, eager for marriage, but turned off by their mate's rotten breath. Can I be happy with him in spite of that? One maiden asks herself in one of the ads. Until that time, bad breath was not conventionally considered to be such a catastrophe, but Listerine changed that. As the advertising scholar James Twitchell writes, quote, Listerine did not make mouthwash as much as it made halitosis. In just seven years, the company's revenues rose from nearly $115,000 per year to more than $8 million in revenue per year. And it's still making money because it's still a product sold to this day. Did you say floor cleaner? And disease preventer. And not just those either. You ready for it? No, probably never. not, but go for it anyway. You're, you're never ready for it. So from, about <laughs> not, from the 1920s up until 1976, Lambert Pharmacal Company claimed that Listerine could prevent common colds and sore throats because it's an antiseptic for a very short time. This is the part that just blew my mind and I found pictures and I will show them to you. Only, as far as I could tell, this only happened in 1927. So it was very, very short-lived. Listerine even created and marketed. I can't, I just can't. Of all the things, I just can't. I can't until you tell me what it is and then I really can't. All right, just take a breath. You ready? Listerine cigarettes. <laughs> what did they do, soak the tobacco in Listerine? Uh-huh. This is going to help your bad breath, but you'll still smell like a minty cigarette. Uh-huh. <laughs> my breath smells so much better smoking this. I'm smoking tobacco, but I'm getting my oral hygiene done at the same time. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I have pictures. I want to see. I know. I will. I will show them to you, but I'm not done yet. Wait, there's more? Oh, there's more. Oh, God. Okay. Face palm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that was just the 20s from the 30s through the 50s. It was also touted that if you apply it to your scalp, it would prevent, quote, infectious dandruff. It was also promoted as a floor cleaner, hair tonic, deodorant, and a, quote, beneficial remedy for diphtheria, dysentery, smallpox, and even gonorrhea. There is also shaving cream and chest salve as well for children. Shaving cream for the men, chest rubs for the children. Listerine and Vicks VapoRub don't smell too very differently. <laughs> Listerine shaving cream. I, I got you. I can just see my legs burning as we talk. The burning as I'm shaving. But uh, yeah, they, they, for, for about 50 years, they touted that Listerine was beneficial in killing the bacterial germs for diphtheria, dysentery, smallpox, and gonorrhea, as well as curing or preventing your sore throat and colds, preventing you from having pneumonia. But who knows, maybe if I gargled some Listerine, I would have not had pneumonia. Now, as I said, I have ads. I have so many ads, but do you, should we finish this 
research first and then we get into the ads or did you want to go over the ads first i'll let you decide let's go over the ads at the end you got it because i i feel like i'll just linger on them if we can if i see them in the middle of this fair fair point okay so why 1976 you might add because the fair trade commission the ftc declared that these blank claims that have been going on for about 50 years now were misleading and that listerine had no efficacy in preventing or curing any of them and the lambert pharmaceutical company which is now pfizer was ordered to stop their campaign and in fact the company was ordered to specifically mention in their ads going on listerine will not help prevent colds or sore throats or lessen their severity and even had to add the contrary to previous advertising to all of their ads from then on. Now, Listerine, just for fun extra fact, would remain in its original glass bottle packaging and its original flavor up until the 1990s when Coolmint and Fresh Burst were introduced, which are standard flavors you see today. They were also, they also launched a natural citrus flavor in tw uh, 2003 and vanilla mint was launched in 2006. Now you're thinking, Listerine's in a plastic bottle. I've never seen it in glass bottle. It changed its packaging in the 90s as well. It's no longer sold in a glass bottle. Now, to end on this very fantastically odd note, although I've got a little extra afterwards that I could not pass up on because I always have to end on something extra weird. According to an article from Melbourne's Sexual Health Center in 2016 in Australia, Listerine may actually be able to claim that it can kill the bacteria that causes gonorrhea. Possibly. So a quote from the article reads, Listerine mouthwashes at dilutions of one part to four parts for one minute resulted in significant reduction of the total N gonorrhea counts, the medical trial found. After gargling the allocated solution, men in the Listerine group were significantly, significantly less likely to be culture positive on the pharyngeal surface, 52%, compared with men in the saline group at 84%. This is a research that's led by Dr. Eric P.F. Chow, and was conducted from May of 2015 to February of 2016. He's gonna go on to do more tests. He's got a group of about 500 men that he'll be working on. And according to the article, Coolmint flavor and the total care styles were used. Total care is one of the newer styles. That's your antibacterial and anti-gingivitis, your whitening all in one total care mouthwash. And they're also trying to study the uh, comparing Listerine's possible effectiveness of killing the gonorrheal bacteria to other mouthwash brands as well. As weird as that sounds, it's also fascinating. Uh, it's an antiseptic and it has germ killing you know, uh, properties mm -hmm. to it. I just don't know that gargling mouthwash is gonna kill gonorrhea. I don't know either. I'll leave that to the experts who have their PhDs, MDs in the field. That, that, that's what they're for. But fascinating. Story. Oh, we're not quite done. Oh. 
what's more now? <laughs> well, this is a little tacked on at the end because it's, I don't think that there's enough for me to do a whole episode unto itself for this one. So I had to tack it at the end. I kept, when I was looking through the ads, which I'll go into in just a couple minutes for Listerine, I kept coming across some more ads for another product which is actually a longtime competitor to Listerine, but in a different format. And I kept going, these ads, I mean, I know these ads are going to be weird, but what does this have to do with women? Because all the, uh, well, the Listerine ads were both towards men and women and children and things like that. This particular product was geared specifically only towards women. So, as a competitor antiseptic, even today, as I mentioned, there's Listerine, the liquid, and Lysol, the spray. And Lysol was invented in 1889. So it's about the same time, about 10, difference, 10 years difference between the two. And today it's used as a spray aerosol germ killer. We use it all the time. We use it to clean things with. It's used to clean surfaces when people have colds or other infections. But during the 20s through the 1950s, there were many, many, many unusual ads for it, as I mentioned, specifically targeted towards women. Now, for thousands of women since the 1900s, since the invention of birth control at the very least in the early 1900s, it was not legally available. So married couples, it would come out to be, weren't legally allowed to even use contraceptives until 1965 for married couples. If you were single, you were not allowed to get a prescription contraceptive until 1972. This is where Lysol comes into play. So during the 20s, and the 50s, 20s 30s, 40s, and 50s, it was actually advertised to women as a douche, which if you're not familiar with that outside of being an actual insult, douche is a genital cleaning product for women. <laughs> I love how we, I'm, actually, I don't really love this, but I mean, we use a lot of things pertaining to genitalia or words pertaining to genitalia as insults sure do why that's so ridiculous you're a douche no and then if we go on and use the curse words I mean look at how many pertain to your tush or a man's genitalia or a woman's genitalia it's so ridiculous Human nature. This human nature. This is dumb. You know what we should do? And we'll just start, we should just start bringing back Shakespearean insults and have extra fun with that. <laughs> I'm up for it. Bring back Shakespearean insults. See how fun that gets. Because you can get all sorts of crazy with those. Let's do it. All right. I'm just going to start walking around using Shakespearean insults. Or I can use the ones from Looney Tunes, too. <laughs> what a maroon. <laughs> that was a maroon is a color. What? 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 Oh, never mind. Yeah, Bugs Bunny. Just 
gully bull episode. I know. All right. You ready to get back into the Lysol for a second? No. Good. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> so the advertisements, as I'll also have pictures for, would show men turned off by their wives or girlfriends or women being shamed for being unmarried and said that Lysol is your cure. But what's really going on is a, a lot more subtle advertising than just saying your genitals smell, which everybody's genitals smell. I don't care what sex you are. And it was touted as a form of hygiene, but the subtlety of it was also saying that it's a form of birth control because you weren't legally allowed to acquire birth control. So from an article from Smithsonian, it's a uh, quote, these ads aren't frightening women into thinking that their genitals smell badly. According to historian Andrea Tone, feminine hygiene was a euphemism. Birth control was illegal in the U.S. until 1965 for married couples and 1972 for single people. These Lysol ads were actually contraception. The campaign made Lysol the best-selling method of contraception during the Great Depression. And the article would also go on to state that by 1911, doctors had reported 193 Lysol poisonings and five deaths from uterine irrigation. Despite reports on the contrary, Lysol was aggressively marketed to women as safe and gentle. Once Cresol was replaced with the orxid, I hate medical term, orthohydroxydiphenyl in the formula, Lysol was pushed as a germicide for cleaning toilet bowls and treating ringworm. And Len and Finks, the company that made the disinfectant, also continued to market it as a safeguard for women's, quote, dainty feminine allure. Now note, do not ever use Lysol as a feminine hygiene product ever. Um, it's to this day, not a good idea. They may have changed the, the, the formula, but don't do it. Lysol may have been a corrosive, maybe corrosive to the sperm in terms of a, a, a contraceptive, but it also damages the tissue inside the uterine. It's only meant to be used on hard surfaces. If it treats toilet bowls, you don't want to use it inside a human body. Well, that's like saying don't drink Coke. Well, it's not good for you anyway. Yes, but... It's highly corrosive as well. Also, It is highly corrosive as well. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying Coke is still something we can drink. If you're going to drink soda, drink it in moderation. <laughs> this is the U.S. We don't do moderation. That, that's true. I'm just saying for <laughs> health reasons, do that in, in moderation because it has been proven that Coke is great at cleaning your freaking toilet. Not only that, you can dissolve meat by using Coke. You can dissolve what? Meat. Meat. You, you, second, put a, you, put like a, you put a slab of meat and pour Coke over it and let it sit, it will dissolve the meat off the bone. Yes. So just be careful with what you drink and put in your body. But please, like, Lysol is a cleaning product, but for your, like, countertops and your bathroom, please don't put it in your body. 
like saying, Let, let's get a surrender voice on, stick it in our bloodstream. Or bleach. It, it'll work about the same way. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It, like, now I said, yeah, it, it, it may actually be corrosive enough to kill sperm, but it damages your inside tissues. And in fact, Lysol back then, as with many things, is much, much stronger than the, the, the Lysol that we have today. Heck, the alcohol content of Listerine was far heavier than it is today. And today we even have alcohol-free mouthwash because it burns. You don't want that in your mouth. Hundreds of people, hundreds of women died from Lysol exposure many of them being women using it as a form of birth control due to the advertisements. The active ingredient in Lysol at the time was known as Cresol. And it's a phenol compound that in some cases will cause inflammation, burning and death, which is why it's not used anymore. But would you like to see some ads? Make it a jollier note at the end. I feel like I just hurt now, like my legs, are burning from the idea of Listerine shave. Now I'm like imagining Lysol in me and it just, ugh. Look at the ads now. Let's do the ads. All right, let me switch to the first one. There's one specifically I wanna say towards the end because the, again, this did went in a direction I not expected. So let me put the link in there we'll read some of the ads so this is one. Oh yeah hmm. so this first one says halitosis makes you unpopular it's inexcusable and can be instantly remedied by using it twice a day to gargle 30 seconds which in of itself is actually true uh listerine is known to be a really good oral antiseptic. Yeah, I mean, it does say keep a bottle handy in home and and official something for this purpose. Mm-hmm. At the very top, and halitosis instantly. Yes, it says <laughs> at the top. It says don't fool yourself. Since halitosis never announces itself to the victims, you simply cannot know whether or not you have it. Yes, because you know you can't smell your own breath. Right. Right. But that's the first one. And <laughs> this is this is a hilarious one. So I, I mean I'm they well, well I'll I'll read you the titles of these, but I mean it. These were really aggressive campaigns, mostly geared towards mostly geared towards women, but again, to both sexes. Uh link this one puts you in the chat. Okay. Well, that's another one. Waiting for it to lo- load. Oh, here we go. And this one says, "Light in the world." They talk about you behind your back, and rightly and- so. Halitosis is unexcusable. Uh huh. Oh my gosh. Oh, it's not even close. I've got others. Oh my god! Next one. Next one. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited now. I figured you'd enjoy these. I've got. I don't, yeah, I, I have just so many, if you just, for, for the listeners, not for Lauren, because you'll remember the surprise, 
But if you just go to Google and type in Listerine ads 1920s, these will all pop up and you can actually read some of the ads. Here's another one. Now I'm going to have to do that after this. How's your breath today? If it's bad, you won't be welcome. Play it. Play safe and use Listerine. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then you get, and of course it's, you know, accompanied by uh, drawings and pictures. And one of them, I noticed that in every single one of these so far, instead of a man, it's always one woman sitting on the side. She's mm -hmm. the one rejected because of her halitosis. Mm -hmm. But you notice it's just women so far. It's the women with the bad breath and men that need to use the shaving cream. That's pretty much how that went. Although I've got a couple that go towards a bit of both. So here's another one. And this one I would recommend going back and reading later because there's an actual storyline to this entire article. <laughs> she couldn't bring herself to tell us. So if you read through the latter half of the article, it's these two people that have known each other since grade school. And now he's a, a, a handsome young man and she's a vivacious young woman and they're in love. But he's all he's telling her in the article, you keep breaking off your our engagements. Do you think that I would just spend my father's money frivolously on you? I love you. And she goes, I know, but I just I can't. I, I know you wouldn't be stupid enough to do that, but, and she just can't bring herself to tell him that she's got halitosis and it's ruining their relationship. Dramatic much? It feels like we're in Hollywood. That they're, yes. In, now in, here's in one like for men's shaving. Feels like they're in, we're in Hollywood reading these in, in the dramatic, like, uh, what are those? Soap operas. I was a theater kid. I'll have fun with this. I miss theater. Here's one for men shaving. Feel well <laughs> and keep well and use Listerine after shaving. Be safe and aseptic. Exhilarates the skin and guards against infection. Tell your wife about this. Most of the articles that I'll, I'll see, if you pay attention, at one point somewhere, it says, tell your husband about using Listerine's antiseptic shaving cream. But when it's an article about men, it's just tell your wife about the antiseptic properties of using Listerine as a facial tonic. Oh my God, I can feel my face burning as we speak. Here's one for the facial like, tonic. I, I feel like I'd be using it like a toner back in those days and That's, I can feel yeah. the burn. There you go. Here's one for the tonics. Okay, well, it is an astringent. It's an antiseptic. It's it not like say, unused like an astringent. Not like, say, using tea tree oil nowadays, except I don't know that like, I would use tea tree oil as a lath wash. Delightful and so inexpensive. Dear Lord. Listerine, the safe antiseptic. Mm -hmm. I think I just died. <laughs> oh, here's one. Here's what I actually didn't read, but let's see. This is one, I think, for a worker. Listerine throat tablets, is that what that says? I think one of them, I, I think on the right-hand side in the little circle of the picture, interesting news, Listerine throat tablets containing the antiseptic oils of Listerine are now available. While we 
Okay, I think it says this, if I'm reading this correctly, it's just kind of hard to read, but while we frankly admit that our tablets or candy lozenge can de deodorize the breath, the Listerine antiseptic oils in these tablets are very valuable as a re relief for throat irritation. Yes. Okay, so- five cents a package, dang. Yes, okay, so- um, Cheap. Here, here it is, so I, I, I saved the image and I, I blew it up. So the phrase under the picture is a, is a very stern business looking man and says, shall I discharge him for it? And the caption underneath says, Andrews, senior partner of the firm was in a quandary. One of his salesmen, an engaging fellow and possessing the finest approach to prospective purchasers simply failed to make any kind of showing at all. In a confidential talk with him one afternoon, Andrews discovered the reason. Yet he didn't know whether to tell him about it or simply discharge the man. What would you have done? It's all about his bad breath, his halitosis. And then it says also continuing, it says sometimes, of course, halitosis comes from deep-seated organic disorder that requires professional advice. Mm. Oh dear Lord. Now right. we now we know how to actually deal with halitosis, but Lordy B. Well, yeah, brush your teeth. Floss. Brush your teeth and your tongue too. Now sure. there is also a toothpaste. That one's not listerine. That's Lux body soap. Hold up. Um, oh, here's this one. Okay, this one I love. I you know I had to actually read it. I just want you to read the title. In. This is horrible. Let the tide take her out. I won't. That's horrible. Uh -huh. I'm not going to take you out because you have bad breath. So why don't you go drown? Pretty much. So the rest of the caption talks about this very beautiful young woman. And she goes out on dates with guys, but she only ever goes out on one date. They never ask her out for a second, but they wouldn't tell her why she didn't know. And then she found out she had halitosis. And then this is another one. If you want to talk about women behind their back talking about people. So this one, you'll see a couple dancing and then two, two women behind them at a table looking at them. And one of them proclaims he's hanging himself right now. Because oh the, woman he's, the, the lady he's dancing with has halitosis and he is not enjoying himself. Looks like he's got a smile on his face to me. But also that's just horrible. He's hanging himself. These are horrible. I don't <laughs> like these. There were tons of sexist ads back then. It's not just sexist. It's also just a, a consistent message of the young lady. No, the tide can take her out. She can just go drown. She's pretty, but I don't want her, her breasts. Like, that's horrible. Come on, Listerine. These are bad. The one true friend she has is a bird. Oh, my God. The rest of the article goes on to say that she was an incredibly popular woman. She made a really good life for herself. She, she had hundreds of friends constantly going out to engagements, had lots of wealth and money, but all of a sudden it stopped, but she couldn't figure out why. And all of a sudden, no one would visit her, no suitors to call on her. Her, 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 her wealth sort of dwindled and her business prospects dwindled and all of a sudden she's left with just her bird as her only friend because I mean, she had halitosis. Lord above, really? 
have you seen the hygiene of the medieval ages and yet they were still fine with getting together with other people well they also I didn't really have sugar sugar wasn't much of a thing in the medieval ages and it wasn't much until the 16 15 1600s no but neither was a toothbrush and toothpaste well not in england the first toothbrush as we know it was invented in china in the 1400s that's my point think of it outside of china 1400s how many people were for goodness sakes people were going to the bathroom in the streets People were brushing their teeth with twigs just to get the plaque off. Yes. And therefore, your breath isn't going to smell good in these times. They're acting like, I reject you because your breath smells horrible. But have you, how do you think that humanity still exists today? Everybody's they, got. They still went on to get married and be with a partner even though they stink because there was nothing else you could do. Well, if everybody smells, you have no blindness and you can't really tell anyway. But the point of all of these advertisements and touting halitosis, you've seen, it's not saying that everyone has bad breath, it's everyone has halitosis. It's a scientific Latin term and using it in advertising, at least at the time, makes it sound much more professional and will get people's attention because it sounds medically professional. Still ridiculous. Read the next chat. I don't want to. Yes, you do. Oh my God. Use an antiseptic on your scalp. It'll take away your dandruff. As someone who has dandruff and I have it pretty bad, I'm not gonna go get Listerine and put it on my scalp. Would you ever put an astringent on your scalp? I probably not. Not like that, no. So this is the same Listerine that they say, pour on your hands to keep the germs off. Pour in your mouth to keep the germs off. Pour in your hair to keep the germs off. Pour on your face to keep the germs off. Pour it on the floor to keep the germs off. Rub it as a salve on your chest to keep germs and cold away. Smoke the cigarettes. I'll get to that in the next one, don't worry. Look at the next chat. No! Okay, I mean, this is stupid, but <laughs> cough, you chump, it's all your own fault. Now millions prevent colds by twice a day Listerine gargle. Mm -hmm. Not really how you prevent colds, but okay. One, and uh, people didn't necessarily know that back then too it's an aggressive marketing campaign and you know it's everywhere so there's that and in some of these some of these advertisements it says that 30 seconds with list i'm well okay i'm sorry and the modern advertisement for listening says 30 seconds with listerine twice a day will prevent and reduce plaque and gingivitis which is actually true given the, the kind of styles and types they have especially if you get the total care listerine with mm -hmm. anti-gingivitis properties to it back then it's gargled listerine 15 to 30 seconds twice a day and you will have better oral health which again is true but they also said it kills millions of bacteria in just 15 seconds i don't know if that's actually true but given this was alcohol based probably 
but I also don't know how much alcohol based. All right, just a couple quick more. I'm leaving the best one for last. Okay. There you are. Okay. So this is the front packaging. Oh my God. <laughs> Made from the finest tobacco, Listerine cigarettes. So for, for the, the listeners who are looking at this, I'll just, I'll, I'll reread that for you. So on the back of the Listerine package, it says cooling and soothing. Listerine cigarettes are pleasantly cooling and soothing to the throat. They are made so by impregnating fine tobacco with the antiseptic essential oils used in the manufacturing of Listerine. Now I get it, it only lasted for about 1927. They did not last long. All right, I'm ready for the last one. Are you sure? Yes, yes, I am sure. Okay. Now the phrasing okay. on this last one, um, is a phrasing most people are going to be very familiar with. But I bet you didn't know it came from a Listerine ad. Because <laughs> I didn't. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know I, that came from a Listerine ad. I had no idea it came from a Listerine ad. So this Listerine ad literally is titled Often a Bridesmaid never a bride the phrase always a bridesmaid never the bride comes from a listerine ad from the 1930s Literally, what and then at the bottom it says listerine antiseptic stops bad breath four times better than any toothpaste except they also had listerine toothpaste so you had listerine mouthwash plus listerine toothpaste plus listerine tablets don't forget the, the aftershave and the shaving cream. Oh, no, I'm just talking orally. But oh, if you okay. think about it, so there are claims that it can kill any disease or most diseases and it kills the germs in your mouth, but you're brushing with Listerine toothpaste, ingesting Listerine tablets, or at least dissolving them in your mouth. You're, you're gurgling with Listerine mouthwash, yet people still got sick. But what I love about the... the the, the very top portion of this often a night brides may never a bride ad literally reads most of the girls of her set were married but not Eleanor it was beginning to look too as if she never would be true men were attracted to her but their interest quickly turned to indifference poor girl she hadn't the remotest idea as to why they dropped her so quickly even her best friend wouldn't tell her no toothpaste kills germs like this Instantly, Listerine antiseptic does for you, but no toothpaste does. You're right. This is the best one. <laughs> I, I specifically left that one for the last. I was I was trying to contain it, but now I'm actually crying from laughter. See, I had the crying from laughter mostly because of Listerine cigarettes. I thought that was absolutely ridiculous and loved it. I am pregnant with the tobacco. <laughs> but yes, the, the uh, often a bridesmaid, never a bride. Could not share that until the very last because I knew that was going to get a really good reaction from you. Oh, Lord. You're going to make my mascara run down my face. Just from cry laughter. We'll just start calling you a raccoon. Oh, thank you. I totally appreciate that. But I, I hope needed to be a trash panda. Hope this weird history uh, made your day a whole lot better. 
made me laugh my tush off. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And oh Lord, help. <laughs> uh, that'll do for this episode of History Explains It All. And if you'd like to, you can find us on our social medias of Instagram and Facebook at History Explains It All underscore podcast, where we post history, little history tidbits, archaeology in the news, and or to a today in history. It's also where we post our sources and stuff like that for episodes like this. So you can find those there. And if you want to reach us, you want to reach out, you want to talk to us, you want to hear more, you want to give a suggestion, anything, please contact us through our email at historyexplainsall at gmail.com. And also, rate and review. Thank you. That's the one I'm thinking about. Like, there's something else and I forgot it. <laughs> and also, Please leave us a rate and or a review on Apple Podcasts. That's how people find us. And we also like to hear what you think. It's really nice to know. We will read them. Absolutely. So and we also want to thank listener Meg for giving this suggestion that went completely off rails. And yes, this, this, this was awesome. <laughs> I hope I you enjoy a, it. <laughs> I had a bomb time. Thank you so much. It was an amazing time. And uh, we hope to see you next week as we trek through history to explain it all. Explain it all. <laughs> We're never going to get that right. No, no, uh, no. And come back uh, for in two weeks for the next year of history. It's all going to be weird Valentine's Day stories. Woo-hoo. Perfection. All right. Can't wait to hear it. But bye, everybody. Bye, we'll see you next week. Sorry, let's let's start that again because I, I lost it. <laughs> And you're going to lose it later. <laughs>